You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Wild pressure APT targets industrial systems in the Middle East. ICS attack tools show increasing commodification... Trickmo works against secure banking. Microsoft warns of RCE vulnerability in the way Windows renders fonts. Click fraud malware has been found in children's apps sold in Google Play. Dark Hotel attacks the World Health Organization. Ransomware hits Parisian hospitals and a British biomedical research firm. And more COVID-19 fish bait. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 24, 2020. Researchers at security firm Kaspersky summarized the activity of wild pressure, a previously unknown advanced persistent threat active against industrial targets in the Middle East. Kaspersky doesn't attribute wild pressure to any nation state, but it notes that the group distributes a C++ Trojan researchers call Milam. It's unclear whether Wild Pressure's goals extend farther than espionage. It's apparently been active in its present form since this past August. FireEye's Mandiant division has warned about the ongoing proliferation of commodity industrial control system attack tools. The developers of the tools, which of course lower barriers to entry for attackers and raise the risk to enterprises, work to make their malware as widely applicable as they can, vendor agnostic when possible and where not, then tailored to the most widely used ICS systems. Siemens is the most heavily targeted. Within FireEye's estimation, some 60% of vendor-specific tools built with Siemens in mind. Products from Schneider Electric, GE, ABB, Digi International, Rockwell Automation, and Wind River Systems are also mentioned in dispatches. The targeting follows market share in the parts of the world of greatest interest to attackers. IBM X-Force researchers are describing what they call a relatively sophisticated bit of Android malware being pushed by TrickBot. They call the malware TrickMo and say that while it's been used against targets in Germany, it appears to be still under active development. It's a transaction authentication number stealer. Transaction authentication numbers, TANs for short, are in effect a one-time password used for multi-factor authentication and so TrickMo is designed to get around this useful security measure. There are, of course, security measures in place to defeat TAN stealers, but TrickMo abuses Android accessibility features to identify and control the dialogue screens Android uses to control permissions. 
Microsoft issued an advisory yesterday that cautioned against a remote code execution vulnerability in the Adobe Type Manager library used by Windows. Redmond classified the issue as critical and says it's observed some limited exploitation in the wild. They're working on a fix and expect to push it out in next month's Patch Tuesday. In the meantime, they recommend certain mitigations. Two things users might consider are disabling the Preview pane and Details pane in Windows Explorer and also disabling the web client service. Researchers at security firm Checkpoint have identified 66 malicious apps in Google's Play Store. They're infested with a strain of click fraud malware called Tekya. The campaigns using Tekya are unusual in that they concentrate on apps designed for and marketed to children. Google removed most of these after Checkpoint disclosed them, but others were taken down by the criminal operators themselves once they realized the jig was up. Alan Liska is a senior analyst at threat intelligence firm Recorded Future. I spoke with him this week on the Recorded Future podcast about some of the specific security challenges organizations are facing in the midst of this global pandemic. Here's a segment from our conversation. Obviously, we know that attackers have ramped up their use of coronavirus or COVID-19 themed lures in their email, and uh, they've been highly successful with that. Um, I read a statistics from Domain Tools that one campaign in Italy they were tracking got a 10% click-through rate, which is unheard of for any sort of phishing lure. Um, and it's because people are, they don't know what's going on. They don't have enough information. They're glued to their TV sets and they're, they're fascinated by this. So if I am that person at my organization who is in charge of keeping things secure and suddenly I'm faced with a huge percentage of my workforce working from home, they are outside of my firewall. They have They're outside the moat. You know, I can no longer pull up the drawbridge. How do I prioritize handling that shift? What sort of things should I be working on? Normally, this is something that you'd have months or even a year to plan out and go on, uh, you know, and, and get implemented. You've had to do this in a week. There's going to be mistakes. There are going to be holes. There's going to be problems that people run through. Um, and, and that is going to create other uh, other problems. Um, so you know, you'll obviously you'll have support problems because you'll have an overwhelmed support staff that is suddenly feel, fielding you know ten twenty times more calls than they normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll also have employees that have trouble getting things set up, and so they may try to do workarounds, which means you could expose sensitive data. So there's all kinds of potential problems there. And then as with the COVID-19 example, because of all the confusion and uncertainty, employees may actually be more likely to click on a phishing email, especially one that purports to be from your IT team. Because right now you're probably expecting a lot of communication from your IT team. And so, you know, you get an email that says VPN instructions, open this Word document. So you open it and... It turns out you've installed something malicious on your desktop that now connects in. The best thing that you can do to sort of answer your original question is have a very well-documented plan that's communicated as early as possible 
and then have backup plans if those don't work. So in other words, send out to your newly minted workforce, here are the steps you need to do to get connected. Only follow advice that comes from this specific email address. Don't you know, ignore anything that is, you know, company name dash support at gmail.com or anything like that. So warn people that these may be coming. So you do need to be adaptable, you know, in security and IT right now. Understand the real world problems that people are having and give them the tools they need to do their job and feel confident that they're doing it in a secure way. That's Alan Liska from Recorded Future. You can check out the rest of our conversation on the Recorded Future podcast, hosted by yours truly. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The World Health Organization has disclosed that it was subjected to cyber attack by the Dark Hotel Group, Reuters reports. The attackers, who were after credentials, were detected around March 13th, and the WHO says the attack was unsuccessful. It's not clear whom Dark Hotel works for, but they have a long record of cyber espionage, mostly against Russian and East Asian targets, but hitting many other countries as well. There's been some musing over the years that Dark Hotel may have some connection with either Chinese or North Korean services, but that attribution is too circumstantial and speculative. The group does show the kind of resources and patience one normally associates with a nation-state intelligence agency, especially since its goals seem to consist largely of espionage, but in any case, the group's origins and masters remain, as reports call them, shadowy. Remember when the Maze, Doppelpamer, and Netwalker ransomware gangs told Bleeping Computer that healthcare targets were off-limits? Yeah, well, we didn't believe it either. It seems that the truth changes, or perhaps there are other gangs out there less high-minded than the public-spirited three. L'Express says that France's CERT reported that Paris hospitals sustained an inconvenient but unsuccessful ransomware attack Sunday. The strain used against the Parisian targets hasn't been specified, but in another case it has. Forbes reports that Hammersmith Medicines Research, a British firm standing by to help test any COVID-19 vaccines that may be developed, was the target of a maze ransomware attack on March 14th. It might be argued pedantically that the attack happened before Mays promised good behavior on March 18th. On the other hand, that good behavior, if it ever in fact materialized, clearly doesn't extend to helping with decryption or relaxing extortion demands. The Mays gang has continued to demand payment and, what's even more evident of bad faith, has published to its dark web markets some of the data that it stole during the attack. Thieves got a thieve. No one should build any high hopes on criminals' promises. This kind of nonsense, of course, represents a direct threat to public health, but others haven't hesitated to use fear of the COVID-19 virus as fishbait in the service of fraud or other illicit activity. Researchers at security firm Before call it a feeding frenzy, as the cyber sharks sense coronavirus fear in the online waters. Old familiar come-ons are back in use. Bogus invoices, calendar invitations, purchase orders, requests for proposals, and casual file sharing are all out there. So do stay skeptical and stay safe. And it's not just that the virus is providing the fish bait. The conditions of relatively greater isolation that people are living under in many parts of the world also has a tendency to make them more susceptible to social engineering. HelpNet Security summarizes research by the Better Business Bureau, the FINRA Investor Education Foundation, 
and the Stanford Center on Longevity that suggest isolation and loneliness contribute to anyone's vulnerability to manipulation by scammers. So try to stay connected as safely as you can. Pick up the phone, chat, exchange emails. And of course, stay alert and stay healthy. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security, also my co-host over on the Caveat podcast. Uh, Ben, over on Caveat, you and I have been uh, discussing, as I think most podcasts are these days, uh, the evolving situation with the coronavirus. Um, But we've been hitting specifically on some of the issues that deal with civil liberties. Uh, You had an article that came by you wanted to draw attention to This is about a surveillance company uh, deploying what they're calling coronavirus detecting cameras in the U.S. What's going on here? Yeah, so this was an article from the motherboard page at Vice. Uh, It's about a company called Athena Security. It's previously sold systems to both public and private sector clients where they claim to use artificial intelligence to identify items in video feeds like knives and guns. So you can see, for example, how that would be particularly useful at public venues, places like airports, theaters, et cetera, but also could be very useful for the government as well, including at government facilities. They are claiming now that they have developed technology to use thermal imaging to measure whether people in a public place have a fever. They are using this imaging to uh, measure people's temperature And they claim to be able to measure within a half degree of reality of that person's actual temperature. And, you know, there are potential consequences to this technology. Uh, A person goes out in public, they have a fever above, you know, whatever that 
100.4 is that would indicate that they potentially uh, have the coronavirus. And, you know, because this fever would indicate that they're positive, they might face some sort of quarantine and isolation order. So there are certainly some civil liberties implications of this. Yeah, how interesting uh, how our perspectives can change when it comes to these sort of privacy issues when faced with a legitimate emergency. Absolutely. You know, I heard yesterday in Maryland that they were going to close down the locations where they measure vehicle emissions and might turn them into drive-through testing centers. And I was ecstatic at that news. I thought it was an excellent idea. We already have the infrastructure in place for cars to come by and for people, you know, to either uh, take the coronavirus test or be screened for their temperature. This is something that three or four weeks ago would have seemed absolutely outlandish. You know, Mm. you could have thought of conspiracies about the government, you know, conducting a mouth swab on every single person in the state and putting them into some sort of DNA database. And that would have felt extremely scary. But, you know, we're living through particularly scary times. This is a true pandemic public health emergency. And at least my instant reaction to that news was not to have any concerns about civil liberties, but was to be pleased that perhaps we could ramp up our our testing capabilities so that we could better identify who has this virus and we could isolate those people while allowing everybody else to return to some semblance of normal life. You know, it's interesting, um, as the federal response has been, uh, I suppose, if I'm being generous, I could say slow, that the states have really stepped up here. As a resident of Maryland, uh, it's been comforting to see that our governor, our leadership, they've been doing everything within their power to step up. And I think that's something we're seeing nationwide. That's interesting to me when we look at sort of, you know, the, the structure of our nation You and I have talked many times about uh, how things uh, sort of break out between the feds and the states, and we're seeing that play out in real time here with this. Yeah, it's quite an experiment in federalism. Uh, You know, states retain police powers. So whether, you know, they've given up some of their powers to the federal government as part of Article One of our Constitution, but everything else, those powers to protect the health, safety, and welfare of citizens— those powers are retained at the state level. And because of that, states have very broad public health emergency powers. They can demand mandatory quarantine and isolation. They can and have in many states shut down uh, large businesses like bars and restaurants uh, and casinos. Um, They can demand the closure of schools. Uh, You know, in the state of Maryland, I know that the governor could even seize private property for public use if that public use was for some sort of uh, public health emergency. States are doing the best that they can, but there are some things that do require strong, robust federal action. There's something called the Defense Production Act. It is a uh, Korean War era law where the government could actually compel companies to manufacture certain products that are necessary to confront an emergency. Mm. And there's been some discussion about forcing companies to you know, abandon whatever else they're manufacturing and focusing on producing, for example, N95 masks, uh, surgical masks, or uh, testing kits for the COVID-19 virus. Um, And that's something that really can only be done at the federal level because it's only the federal government that has access to those resources. Right, right. All right. Well, interesting insights as always. Uh, Ben Yellen, stay safe. Thanks for joining us. You too. Thanks.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.